0: You're not getting protein amino acids from your food you'll just keep on eating and eating and eating and i think that's why a lot of people are a lot bigger than the be. because especially when it's hyper palatable and, and it's flavored and sugared and engineered to taste like nutrient dense food but it really contains no nutrients. The magic happens when you when you trigger endogenous ketones from your own body and burn your own body fat and you feel even better and your exogenous ketones is just another energy source. It's just another source of energy coming into your body that will raise insulin.
1: Welcome to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host Seamlund and That's exactly what we're talking about in today's episode. Our guest is Marty Kendall from Brisbane, Australia. He's a nutritional engineer and he runs the blog OptimizingNutrition.com.
0: The keto calories can do no wrong, but...
1: But other than that, let's delve into the world of optimal nutrition. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs control your mind so Marty well welcome to the show
0: a fantastic real pleasure to be chatting to you from Australia to Estonia
1: yeah it's it's the world's a small place thanks to the internet
0: <laughs> it's amazing yeah.
1: so uh, what led you to starting your blog uh, optimizing nutrition
0: Yeah. I was, uh... I'm an engineer by day, um, married uh, my wife, Monica, who uh, has type 1 diabetes. She's had that since she was 10. So I suppose the last 18 years or so, I've been living with the day-to-day realities of diabetes and understanding firsthand the influence of insulin and food and uh, the different things that affect her blood sugars and what requires insulin and I suppose a passion from there to understand that better. And also my own personal family history and my own struggles with obesity and just trying to be fit and healthy and, 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 and not die early like yourself. I mean, what you're doing is amazing. And uh, it's fascinating to see such a young age just getting out there and smashing it and learning a whole lot and sharing it. So similar journey to you it was real enthusiastic uh, to, to learn and then what I learned to share online. And it's just been a, an amazing journey over the last three years from there to, uh, to, to to start and share that.
1: So what lifestyle changes did you make to treat your wife's diabetes?
0: Yeah, um, I suppose we came across low carb probably about four years ago and uh, initially, I suppose pregnancy was the thing that really blew us away and going, well, how do I, if we want to get pregnant and have kids, how do we control? Um, her insulin and manage her blood sugars because you know it's a big deal complications of diabetic pregnancy etc cetera, etc cetera. so there was a real motivation to learn through that and then going on from that we found low carb and uh, and then eventually I stumbled across the the food insulin index which really helped more accurately predict the types of foods that require insulin and how much insulin and yeah, the, did some calculations and shared that online and uh, that was that 3 years ago. Uh, just continued to, to share on the blog and learn from other people and, and continue to learn, share that learning journey.
1: Yeah, I so saw like your main emphasis on your blog is uh, insulin and ketosis uh, and such. Why is insulin so important?
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, especially for someone with type one diabetes, and so many people today are on that spectrum of somewhere on the spectrum of metabolic disease and insulin resistance. Um, and for those people, they're becoming more insulin resistant, and the foods that are so prevalent today are full of refined carbohydrates that that blow their insulin levels and their blood sugars through the roof, and that then generates basically a roller coaster ride of energy and and sugar crashes and, and then for someone with diabetes they need to eat to get out of that low and it's it's controlling their appetite then it's quite difficult and then they make poor food choices that are quite nutrient poor and then that just spirals on they end up having a poor quality diet
1: like everything you put into your mouth it you kind of fix your whole body's biochemical mm. So. Mm.
0: I- as i have a sip of
1: coffee <laughs> well coffee is good for you in, in uh, so but, but how do different foods uh, affect insulin
0: yeah i mean that that's the crux of the blog and uh, I, I came across this food insulin index um, that had been done uh, probably about what is it the in the 80s they did some initial research looking at the insulin response of different foods so they actually you may have heard of the gly- uh, glycemic index, uh, which, which measure, measures just the amount that blood sugars rise and then lower after taking a certain food. But this actually measured the area under the curve insulin response to a whole range of different foods. And there was a bunch of research that had been done, but it was quite confusing. But up until uh, recently, it was really hard to know what to do with that information. But um, yeah, three years ago, there was a, a thesis published that combined about 120 different foods which demonstrated uh, what the, the insulin response of those foods uh, in, in real people, so that, that they measure the area under the curve, insulin response. And what I did, I downloaded it and threw it into Excel uh, on my holidays three years ago and started just looking for trends and looking to now analyze to say, well, carbohydrates require insulin, obviously. But what else requires insulin? I know my wife has to dose for protein. How much insulin do different foods require? um, If she eats this, this much protein, how much insulin does she require? And also I found that fiber also negates the effect of insulin. So basically what it came up with was The amount she has to dose for protein is related to the carbohydrates minus the fiber plus about half the protein so that really helps and it's a really exciting step forward hopefully for people with type 1 diabetes that they can then more accurately calculate the insulin dosing so then that formula that arrangement you can then reverse it and say well which foods will then elicit the lowest insulin response so for people who are looking for for ketosis or low carb or therapeutic ketosis right down the other end. they can then use that understanding to prioritize the foods that have the lowest insulin response. But then going forward, um, coming from a paleo headset, uh, mindset and, and understanding, I thought, well, you know, the, 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 these foods that create the lowest insulin response, basically olive oil and and avocado and uh, coconut oil and, and bacon and the lights, which may not necessarily be really nutrient dense at the same time. So then I worked out a way to analyze and quantify nutrient density. So then I've basically smashed the two together in a multi criteria analysis to say, well, if, if you really need to manage insulin as your first priority, you can... Follow this sort of approach, but if you need to manage uh, insulin with a low carb approach that's still nutrient dense, you can sort of follow that approach. So, um, it, 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 for me at the moment, it's all about balancing insulin load, nutrient density, and energy density. So, if you get to a point where your blood sugar is stable, for those sort of people, a lot of the time they need to reduce the energy density of their food so they can then use up their own body fat. So, yeah. That, that's sort of the system that I've created and I'm trying to share that and get it out there. And uh, yeah, it's morphed into the nutrient optimizer most recently, which is a fascinating little project.
1: What's the difference yeah. between like the glycemic index and the insulin index? And you know how the yeah. glycemic loads fit into this? Yeah, so,
0: so the, the glycemic index, it, it just compares the amount that, uh, so they take glucose a 100% and look at the amount that, a food raises your blood sugar and then drops your blood sugar again so it's just a total rise but the insulin index is then the area under the curve insulin response so it for people who are insulin resistant their real issue is that they, they don't have enough insulin to keep their blood sugar stable so my wife has to inject insulin a type 2 diabetic has to inject Uh, potentially insulin if they, if their pancreas can't keep up or their pancreas is just not producing enough insulin to keep it low. So that really they're interested in how do I moderate my, 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 my insulin load of my diet to bring it back so my pancreas can keep up. Um, the glycemic load isn't really, uh, as useful, nearly as useful to do that. Um, and, and so with the insulin index we can then arrange things by percentage insulinogenic um so we can say well this is 5% of the calories and this require insulin in in this food like a, a pure carbohydrate might be or glucose is 100% so 100% of the calories in that will require insulin um so, so but then we can times that by the quantity of the food to get the the insulin load so it's it's a measure of the percentage times the quantity of the food gives you the insulin load um, which which is really interesting and then you can go well how much insulin based on that do I need to inject and then if you're looking for therapeutic ketosis for the management of cancer to Slow the uh, the growth of a tumor, or a child with epilepsy who's trying to get a high fat ketogenic diet to prevent their seizures. They can go, well, these are the foods that I need to target and maximise, and and it can also help you pinpoint the foods that are create an insulin response, and you can eliminate those and reduce them for those sort of therapeutic ketogenic interventions, which is really exciting, I think
1: of so agree like uh you've done a great job at you know ca- putting in the calculations and uh, optimizing mm.
0: it.
1: So, but, but uh, you also mentioned that that protein affects insulin how much, mm. how much does it do so and uh, is it actually that, yeah. more insulinogenic than carbohydrates or
0: no 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 um so uh, it's about half so about 56 percent of protein requires insulin um that there's glucogenic amino acids and And that can be converted to glucose and ketogenic amino acids that can be uh, that converted to ketones and and a bunch that sort of can go either way depending on the requirement. But at the same time, um, I think a lot of people are concerned in keto world about protein being insulinogenic and I need to minimise my protein and and avoid protein. I think if you're actually legitimately looking to treat a condition like cancer, epilepsy, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, with a therapeutic kinogenic diet, that's a relevant concern. But what I have found going forward looking at nutrient density is that um, uh, insulinogenic foods are uh, well, really low insulinogenic foods are uh, are not low protein. So if you actually try to actively avoid protein, you end up with, like I said, just basically refined oils, which you won't get as many vitamins and minerals and all the other things you need. So if you're trying to lose weight or manage your diabetes, you might, uh, might end up craving a lot of nutrients that those refined oils aren't going to be providing you with. So if you're trying to actually lose weight, then you probably need to think, well, I need to lose, you need to optimize the nutrient to energy ratio so you can get away with less food to get the nutrients you need and then use up the stored body fat on your body um, if you're actually trying to lose weight and then you get endogenous ketones from your body rather than exogenous ketones from the food that's coming in your mouth.
1: And if you do switch to a ketogenic diet or go on a Mm. deficit then your body will you know they will have access to to your own body fat
0: yeah and it's really good that protein can be converted into glucose because if you don't have any glucose then you can through gluconeogenesis you can create that glucose but typically the higher the percentage of protein in the diet the lower insulin and the lower glucose response you have so as a general rule um eating protein as much as your body desires is probably enough Um, and it's hard to eat too much because it's got such a a a high satiety effect and you may have heard of the protein leverage hypothesis that says your body just basically keeps on seeking out more and more food until it gets enough protein and it says okay enough on i'm satiated and i think to an extent the same principle applies to a lot of other nutrients that you'll keep on searching out food to the point that you Get enough, and then you go. Okay, I'm satisfied. But if you're not getting nutrition from your food, if you're not getting protein, amino acids from your food, you'll just keep on eating and eating and eating. And I think that's why a lot of people are a lot bigger than they want to be because the foods that are cheap are very low protein, very low nutrient density, and they just keep eating, and yeah, uh, you know, they're not never satisfied by the food.
1: Yeah, you can you can you know eat on unlimited amounts of sugar and unlimited mm. carbohydrates. Without ever, you know, eating really mm. something
0: Totally, totally. Especially when it's hyper palatable and, and it's flavored and sugared and engineered to taste like nutrient dense food, but it really contains no nutrients. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. But what about uh, fructose? Does it raise insulin?
0: Oh, yeah, that, that's a fascinating one. Uh, fructose is
1: metabolized directly in the liver,
0: but um, it can be converted to sugar through gluconeogenesis. So, um, so some of fructose can raise insulin, but it doesn't raise insulin as much as, as, as glucose itself. So it does have a small insulin response. Okay.
1: But uh, if it only can be uh, stored as glycogen in the liver, so what would happen if you eat more fructose than the liver can deposit
0: yeah i suppose it just overflows and it's another problem i don't think most people are getting obese from eating uh, apples and oranges but i think the high fructose corn syrup that fills all our that's so cheap um is the issue and it's often filling our sodas and and coke and whatever so that's where it becomes a problem whenever you separate Energy from nutrition uh, and then flavor it and color it and sell it cheap in unlimited fashion, then uh, you you get a problem. When it's just not, we're just not programs, we're just not evolved to to deal with that. Because if you're a caveman trying to survive, through the next winter and prepare for the next winter you'd be going hey this is fantastic i'm just gonna eat neat, eat and eat it's like uh oh, forget the forget the apples oranges bananas here's the coke i'm just gonna hammer this so i'm fat enough to survive through the famine but today the, the winter never comes winter never comes around the corner and we're always surrounded by this cheap hyperpalatable food that we can hammer down, um, but it doesn't give us the nutrients we need and your body never switches off and says, okay, I've got what I need. I'm happy I don't need anymore.
1: Yeah, like it's a very, it's a, like you said, the winter never comes winter is coming for him. It's a, it's a very, uh, evolutionary optimized strategy in the Savannah mm. eating all of those foods you know, uncopiously. Mm. You know, we just have to switch, switch over to it and to up, re update our, you know, op, operating system in a sense.
0: Yeah. And I think in, in today's environment, we need to hack our environment because we're always surrounded by, by our screens that are always showing us daylight uh in our retina it's always daylight we looking at our phones all night and um food's always there 7-eleven's always there cheap food's always there with lots of fructose like it would be in summer but we never get to that point where it becomes winter so we have to nearly hack our environment to be as if it was you know winter which is your, your keto which is your fasting which is maybe you know maybe you need to track your food to make sure you're not overdoing it if you're not getting the results you want.
1: What about combining different foods that, like, could it be possible to stay in ketosis if you eat something like, you know, a very high glycemic carbohydrate like waffles or something but, you know, try to blunt the insulin response with some extra fat (laughs) like uh, MCT oils uh, or…
0: Yeah. Um, Oh, wow. I suppose that's where you come to… Are you looking for endogenous ketosis or exogenous ketosis and endogenous ketosis i think is is the really exciting thing that that's where you burn your own body fat for fuel so you're burning all the fat that you most people don't really want but most people have heaps of and at that point your your nad plus raises your sert raises you go into autophagy um, you feel fantastic and you, you're cleansing your body. And I think that's the real magic of ketosis. But um, when you're just overloading the system with energy, your insulin has to rise even if that energy is from fat because you're, you're insulin is a way to stop the release of energy from your liver and from your own fat stores. So when a type 1 diabetic, your body basically falls apart and all your energy from your body goes into your bloodstream. You get really high blood, like glucose and high ketones at the same time. Um, but when you get enough insulin, it just holds that release of energy back in, in, in your liver and back in your in your stores. So you can moderate that. So, But if you're hammering up a whole lot of energy from fat from protein, from carbohydrates, all at the same time, and then your body's going to raise that insulin to help that release of all that energy into into your bloodstream. So I think you're going to still have um, more insulin than you want in your body. And it's fasting, it's the, you know, moderating your intake. Um, it's through maximising your in- nutrient-to-energy ratio that you can actually get that, lower insulin, low, lower low glucose and get more endogenous from burning your own fat stores, which I think is really where the magic is at.
1: I actually read one of your God. articles about uh, how ketones can actually raise insulin, so, we, we, which is very controversial and uh, interesting at the same time. Can, I, can you tell us like, what's, <laughs> what's the deal there?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean most people think that hey when I take exogenous ketones you get a reduction and blood glucose and therefore it must be a reduction in insulin but i think um what i'm understanding more and more lately is that you've got a number of different energy systems in the body you've got your glucose you've got your ketones you have got your free fatty acids and the body just regulates all those in different degrees depending on what's coming in Um, so if you've got a lot of glucose you'll see high glucose in your bloodstream if you've got a lot of fat maybe your free fatty acids will raise and if you eating ingesting ketones which is quite evolutionarily novel your ketone levels will rise up, so then, as we were talking about before, the liver then says, "Well, I don't need to continue to release glucose into the system. I'll release that. Uh, I'll decrease that um, glucose release from the liver into the into the bloodstream." So you'll see your blood glucose decrease. So um, people think, "Oh, that that's fantastic!" But really, in a way, your exogenous ketones is just another energy source. It's just another source of energy coming into your body that will raise insulin really just another energy source and you feel fantastic you get a boost your appetite switches off but i think largely that's because um it's it's just another energy source you're getting from the exogenous ketones and because keto is exciting keto is popular um People like it, but uh, yeah. to a large extent, it's, it's just another energy source. So yeah.
1: True, yeah. But uh, what about uh, stuff like bulletproof coffee? <laughs> will it will it raise incident
0: Um, yeah. Well, if you look at it from the food insulin index, uh, just MCT oil doesn't raise your insulin a lot. But as I said, at the same time, if you've got a lot of, in- of energy floating around your bloodstream, you you your liver is still going to be trying to hold back um, that energy from your own body so uh, fat doesn't raise your insulin as much and it'll it'll keep your overall insulin down but there is still some release of insulin as your body just holds back the the release of energy from your own fat stores. so yeah a lot of people find when they start Transitioning to a, a higher fat diet and take out the refined carbohydrates, but they they do get a drop in insulin and they're able the 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 their the blood sugar is stabilised and they find that they're able to moderate their energy intake better and their appetite gets better, but um, but that often plateaus and then I think at that point they need to start to focus. Okay, my blood sugar's are, stabilized my insulin stabilized let's start focusing on more nutrient dense foods and maybe less energy dense foods so i can use the fat from my body at this point if i really want to get ultimately healthy and continue down that track to to optimum health and but if you if you're lean and you're a performance athlete then bringing in that high energy density food those really high fats can be a really good way because you know i can say you know eat nutrient dense but if you're a Triathlete than jamming and broccoli, on your bike that day if you've got to do a, a an Ironman triathlon. So it's finding that appropriate energy source for that, and that's what I've been trying to do is to um, use numbers to quantify to say, well, for this person, for this circumstance, they need these foods.
1: Would incidence still rise if if you have low blood sugar but high but high ketones?
0: Yeah, I mean they they did. Um, There's a study by Richard Veitch's lab where they gave uh, ketone esters to athletes and when they tracked um, and actually compared the response, the insulin response from carbohydrate versus uh, fat versus uh, the exogenous ketones. And they saw that the exogenous ketones actually raised the insulin about half as much as the carbohydrate which is similar as we talked about before with protein protein raises insulin about half as much as carbohydrate but at the same time those exogenous ketones are really just refined energy they're rocket fuel they're like a glucose gel that's going to give you a whole lot of energy without a lot of nutrition so if you're not that performance athlete if you're the diabetic who's trying to lose weight then they maybe not the optimum fuel If if like, I think uh, bulletproof coffee is fantastic if you've, uh, you know, you want an energy boost and you feel really crisp and you get a real ketone buzz, and that's fantastic as if you were fasting. But if you keep on hitting that button and, and pulling that lever to get more and more energy through refined fats, um, maybe that's not going to give you the long term response you want if you're looking for leanness and uh, diabetes. Blood sugar control because it's just more energy coming in, and potentially more energy than your body can handle. So I think people just, uh, you know, a lot of people are really enthusiastic about keto at the moment, and it's just booming. And people are uh, googling it, that that's you know, skyrocketing in terms of in terms of search terms. And because it does have that appetite suppressing effect, it it it, it it's, they think. The keto calories can do no wrong but if you just keep on chasing that um, high ketones then you get to a point where you've just overfueled fueled and, and which is exogenous ketosis whether it be from MCT oil or exogenous ketones or whatever the source is really that the magic happens when you when you trigger endogenous ketones from your own body and burn your own body fat and you feel even better, and I don't know if so probably experiment with long term fasting, and you just feel fantastic, and your brain's got that crispness and it's addictive. And you know, I think that's people need to get to the point through monitoring their blood sugars or, or monitoring the their scale, weight, or whatever it is, to get to that point where they're burning their own body fat to the point that they get that mental buzz and they get uh, endogenous ketosis.
1: I think, like, after you become keto adapted, then uh, these ketones become like carbohydrates practically for your body like they yeah. just the same fuel source in the sense and and i think like most people who would actually benefit from these exogenous ketones are performance athletes a regular yeah. per- a regular person who drinks these shakes while sitting on a couch uh, they, you know they would actually they would actually hinder their fat loss because they're you know they're flooding mm. the body with extra energy so ex- exogenous ketones they would stop fat loss am i right Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, potentially. I I think exogenous ketones for athletic performance is fantastic. It's it's a fascinating area and an evolving area, and I think the the research is probably still early days, and uh, I think there's some research that says it works really well and some that says it doesn't work at all and there's no difference, and some that says, I mean, my experience when I've played with ketone esters, you actually get to a point where you – you gas out and I don't feel like I breathe as well because it's like that the the body's trying to burn those exogenous ketones first and and line that up up front um and it hinders your own body fat um oxidation so I feel more out of breath interestingly is my personal experience but um, I've heard it said for a you know ultra ultra double uh Ironman um triathlon then potentially those people who need to preserve their glucose stores those exogenous ketones may be helpful but um i think of the average joe just going to the the gym it's probably just like you said it's like a glucose gel and for the guy sitting on the couch drinking his exogenous ketones because you know the, the 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 upstream marketer told him that it would help him lose weight I, I think he might have you know <laughs> may have invested un- unwisely potentially if that was what was promised. And that's what I suppose frustrates me. And that's why I've got a couple of posts that I've put a lot of effort into to say, Hey, these things aren't going to give you metabolic health. They're not going to give you the, um, the ketosis is going to lead lead to optimal health. It's just, you know, energy in a bottle and it's, it's expensive. And a lot of people are making a lot of money. You see all those private marketers with their Porsches and Lamborghinis and flying around and, but the that, I think they're selling dreams in a lot of ways and that frustrates the hell out of me. So, yeah. yeah
1: they're selling like an idea idea rather than just a product, you know. Yeah. And, and if
0: there was legitimate research to demonstrate that taking exogenous ketones led to fat loss, it would be out there and, you know, they've had plenty of time to show it and they haven't.
1: I think, I think it also comes, one of the biggest effects that come from taking these things is just that it's a meal replacement. It's a low calorie meal replacement. That, can mm. help, that it can help you to maintain a caloric deficit, like these uh, beta hydroxybutyrate salts. They mm. they, don't, mm. they have practically zero calories and a ton of electrolytes, so it can be used sure. to you know prolong your intermittent fasting window or something like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, that's one of the benefits. Like you said, that some of them contain potassium, a lot of them contain sodium bound to the BHB, and they can give you um, electrolytes as well as often caffeine and MCT, which give you a, a really beneficial effect. And I think one of the things that I see in analysing ketogenic diets is a lot of them, because they they, they take out um, plant-based foods and green veggies a lot of the time, it's harder to get potassium and magnesium and sodium. So the sometimes the real benefit of the exogenous ketones is that they provide the sodium and potassium back into the diet that they may be missing, which is a real benefit because, you know, uh, ke- uh, electrolytes and ketosis is really important.
1: Yeah, true. So we talked about like these exogenous ketosis and the endogenous ketosis. How can you enter into the endogenous ketosis?
0: Yeah, I suppose that's where fasting and calorie restriction comes in um, a, a number of different ways. What One that I found fascinating for myself and I've seen work for a lot of other people is just tracking their blood sugars. So... Um, a lot of people don't have a good feel for whether they really need to eat. Are they eating for boredom? Are they eating for you know, entertainment? Is are they eating for social reasons? Or they do they really need the fuel? And and these people, who are obese, probably need to have a better grip of whether they really need to, to eat. So, um, coming from a diabetes headspace where my my wife pricks a blood sugar of tests of blood sugar six times a day. Um, that's sort of an easy default. And what you can do is just test your blood sugars and say, well, are my blood sugars lower than the average of the last seven days? Okay, my blood sugars are getting lower. Time to eat. Or no, my blood sugars are are higher. Then, okay, I'm I'm fully fueled. So you can basically use your blood glucose levels as a, a measure of like a fuel tank to understand, do you need to eat right now? And if you're trying to, to lose weight or even to get into endogenous ketosis then having a a downward trending blood sugar is a really fantastic thing so other people find that they can use i've seen um, people use their scale weight so they wake up in the morning and say well is my is my weight over my target weight if i'm trying to lose weight um and okay i won't eat today that takes a lot more discipline because you've got to fast for 36 hours but um yeah, I mean, not eating for a few days is just a fantastic buzz, and sometimes you get that amazing mental clarity after two or three days of not eating. And I know Ivor Cummins, a friend of mine, says that you know, before he does a presentation or a big meeting, he'll make sure he doesn't eat because that's when his brain is at the crispest. So the detoxing in your blood happens; that's where the the increase in um, NAD to NADH ratio happens, and you get more. Um, Breath ketones, which is probably more exciting than, than your blood ketones in a way too. So um, yeah, basically there's no free lunch unfortunately, and it's it's not easy and uh, yeah. But it, it,
1: it's a good like, I, it's a good point that like these, or it's even quite ironic that uh, even though these uh, states of semi-starvation, like fasting and caloric restriction, they might seem like they're like bad for your body, but they're actually like the they're so beneficial for your body. Definitely. Yeah,
0: it's amazing. I, I, I suppose the one caveat there is when you fast, my friend Raymond Edwards says fast well, feed well. So when you when you fast, you've got to make sure you feed well at the end. And I've, I know myself when I've dabbled with the fasting as you get to the end of a fasting. So I've really earned this jar of peanut butter and you there you are hoeing down this really calorie dense, high fat food when you've tried to, what you tried to do is is, is drop some body fat. So just plan your fast, maybe don't have your fast so long that you can't um, have nutrient dense food at the end of it that's going to build back after you've been through that period of autophagy that you're going to build back your muscles and your brain cells and everything that's going to really Build health in the long term. So,
1: what about uh, measuring ketones? What's the most accurate way of doing that?
0: I oh, hear. Yeah, um, I suppose the, the the blood ketones or the breath ketones. That they're, they're both useful and interesting. Um, interestingly, I find uh, my breath ketones are more consistent. So you're basically always have 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 breath ketones, but your um, blood ketones will rise and fall depending on what you're eating and what time of day it is. So, um, and, and when I'm eating, interestingly, when I'm supplementing, um, nice and, uh, and boosting B3, that tends to shift that NAD plus to NADH ratio, which then pushes more, um, less of your ketones go into your blood and they're more available to be exhaled in your breath. So you see a lot higher breath ketones and I personally feel better at that point. Um, so yeah, uh, either way, but, but really if, if you typically have a lower blood glucose level, then you're going to have enough ketones. And, um, I did being a, a nerdy engineer, I, I managed to crowdsource a bunch of, um, blood glucose and ketone data points that you look at the total energy in your bloodstream and, and um, you know typically people with lower blood sugars tend to have low end ketone, blood ketone levels at the same time. So um, although there's sort of a balancing out of blood glucose and blood ketones sort of move together, one goes up, the other one goes down. But overall, people who are really metabolically healthy typically have lower overall total energy in their blood from um, glucose ketones or free fatty acids all the time it's like the the body is able to keep the fuel tank the fuel in the fuel tank rather than leaching it out over into the bloodstream but once your um, fat stores become over full and insulin resistant you can't jam any more energy into your fat stores you get that overflowing into your bloodstream and that's basically diabetes so it, uh, you know chasing really really high ketones is not a wise thing necessarily because it's just an overfueling situation that mimics diabetes so that's true,
1: that's true. like uh, we know that high amounts of glucose in the bloodstream it can lead to mm. glycation and uh, oxidative stress so mm. w- would the same thing apply to fatty acids as well yeah
0: i mean i uh, if your fatty acids sit around in the bloodstream and aren't used up quickly, you get oxidized LDL, which is another symptom of, um is another precursor of heart disease. So, I mean, nobody's coined exactly what high ketone levels sitting around in the blood for too long is called and how that relates to heart disease and our metabolic degradation. But, you know, maybe one day they will if, uh, Everybody's taking, hammering exogenous ketones, like there's no tomorrow, 10 years, and we'll all be downing coke full of, uh, you know, exogenous ketones, so that'll be an interesting experiment.
1: That's exactly, what we don't know, we don't know that much about uh, ketosis yet.
0: So... No, it, it is still really early days, and, and it's fascinating and exciting and really interesting, but yeah, it's still early days, and I think, oh, I think we're still very much getting exogenous and endogenous ketosis confused and people are attributing all the benefits of what happens when we burn our own body fat in those famine periods with hammering a whole lot of mct oil and and exogenous ketones so
1: it's it's still a good idea to put your body under this slight energy deficit so that you could be Mm. metabolizing your own body fat
0: for fuel. Oh, and that, that that's the metabolic flexibility where you you put yourself through the extremes of you know ha- making your body produce uh, I don't know, I've seen your videos and see what you do with your body and your exercises and uh, you make your body do more with less and that's the, 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 the key to um, building more mitochondria and uh, mitochondrial density and mitochondrial health and that's where health is really at, I think
1: it's like you shouldn't think about how many calories I can get away with without getting fat. <laughs> you should think about you know, how less calories I can eat while still maintaining uh, performance. Yeah, I mean, with, with
0: your car, you don't think how many, how much uh, diesel can I jam in my car at the gas station, and it, it's it's uh, how efficient can I make my car, and how efficiently can I make it run. And I think efficiency is what metabolic health is really about.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's no. Your, your body doesn't like uh, abundance, in a sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, gonna, definitely. De-
1: it's going to lead to a disease.
0: disease. Mm. And I, I really don't like that message myself because I really like eating and I really like food and food is social and food is fun and food is uh, entertainment and food is comforting. But, uh, you know, it's too much food all the time. is never going to be really optimal for us in the long run.
1: And, you know, there's also the problem of... Uh, too many macronutrients, so how do you know what micronutrients you should be consuming in what amounts every day?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some general guidance on the recommended daily intake that is fairly well agreed, and, and granted, there's some, uh, you know, some of those recommended daily intakes are based on deficiency testing, such as potassium, vitamin D, um, calcium, rara, there's a lot of really good research behind those, some of them are a little bit more vague with, um manganese and and vitamin a etc so that but what i've done with the nutrient optimizer is you can actually quantify with chronometer look at your actual daily intake and there's a lot of the nutrients you're getting heaps of like it's quite easy to get all the amino acids and vitamin a and vitamin b but then when you look at your micronutrient profile you can see hey, there's a number of micronutrients that I'm really not getting enough of. How do I get those nutrients? So um, that's what the Nutrient Optimizer does. It says, well, here's these 8, 10 micronutrients that Simland is not getting right now. Which foods contain those nutrients to rebalance your micronutrient profile to maximize your overall nutrient density? So it's a really, it's been, for me, it's been a fascinating personal journey to say, which foods will rebalance my micronutrient profile and just continue to follow that guidance. And, uh, you know, myself and a lot of other people, it's interesting to see them say, well, I just don't I don't feel as hungry. I don't feel like I need as much food anymore and uh, I can get away with, you know, not as much. And I'm satiated. It's like you get the nutrients you need and your body goes, mm, I don't need any more and I'm good now. So, yeah, like we talked about before, once you remove those hyperpalatable flavoured fake foods then your body can then listen to its own appetite and like we probably did thousands of years ago to, to seek out the nutrients you need at that point in time. Um, animals in the wild still do it well and are able to locate the nutrients that they need in the foods that contain them. And, um, and I think these days... With, with...
1: It's even like dogs, they begin to eat something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll take my dog to the park and you see him eating grass, you know, why is that? And sometimes when they're sick, they'll eat more grass and go, wow, it's a carnival eating grass. Maybe he knows that he needs a little bit of, you know, potassium and magnesium from that. Um, But yeah, in today's, everything's turned up to to 11 in, in the engineered fake foods that we've got. And we no longer have that, we're no longer in touch with that ability to sense what we need at any point in time.
1: I've seen your uh, nutrient optimizer tool and very interesting and definitely very useful for, for it. Yeah, thank much, you. Not just health, but you know, for optimizing their overall just to gain more awareness about what, what they're actually putting into their mouth. But what about like these uh, unique genetic differences in the microbiome?
0: Ah, oh, yeah, wow. That...
1: How would you go about, uh, how would they affect like uh, the, how much micronutrients you would need?
0: Yeah, there's a whole lot of fascinating things we don't know, like um, anti nutrients and the effects on the microbiome. I, I think generally with the microbiome, um, what we do know is that refined processed carbohydrates just overfeed part of the microbiome that um, that takes over the rest of it. So we get gut dysbiosis and, and some of the some of the strains of your microbiome take over and you don't have a balanced range of bacteria in your gut i think that's just about the end of what we know because we you know look at the Hadza and these different tribes that have this fantastic diversity but in in western society we call those particular you know firmicutes or bacteroides we say that that's a bad thing so i don't think we yet have a really good feel for how to manipulate our gut bacteria but what we do know is that you know taking out the refined sugars and refined carbs and high fructose corn syrup and even a whole lot of refined fat tends to give us a better um gut bacterial profile
1: That's true, yeah. uh, i think i think like also one of the key puzzles key pieces of the puzzle is to is to go through these periods where you're not getting these optimal amounts of nutrition as well like like i said mm. you, don't want, you don't want to be in this state where your body has constantly access to a, an abundance of micronutrients even it's, it, it will yield this beneficial hormetic response I think. Yeah, yeah,
0: hormesis is fascinating.
1: Would you think that uh, you could become resistant to some of the micronutrients from your foods if you take them like all the time every day, if you uh, get your RDA every day, would you like develop some sort of mild resistance towards them? Yeah,
0: uh, I'm not sure. I, I've, I've heard of like kids who are deficient in DHA, if you leave them with cod liver oil, they, they keep hammering the cod liver oil till they're deficient and then they no longer need it. And I think you probably would get that point where you come to a point where you're sufficient in that nutrient, you no longer need it, but I'm not sure whether you... And, and iron is another one that you can get too much of.
1: Yeah, I think you would you would simply, you know, like... You will need more to get the same effect, like with caffeine or with uh, insulin or <laughs> or carbohydrates. Like it's it's it's, it's like uh, you, you, if you if you keep your intake to just just the amount your body needs, you will remain your sensitivity and you, your receptors will yeah. be more susceptible to and you receive those micronutrients.
0: Yeah, and that's where it's more useful to get them from whole foods because the micronutrients in the right balance of how they're found in nature rather than hammering one particular micronutrient.
1: What quality should we look for foods that uh, promote optimal nutrition? Um, it depends
0: on who you are and what your current diet is. You can, uh, if you're missing a certain cluster of nutrients, then you would need to go for those nutrients and other nutrients. And there's a lot of... Uh, argument at the moment the carnivore um, diet is massive and you know really popular with sean baker and at the same time all the plant-based guys are thinking their diet is fantastic but i think as long as you're getting um, nutritious nutrient dense whole foods then you can you can get your micronutrients from a whole different range of sources Um, I don't think you have to subscribe to one particular food religion per se. The, the, the whole range can work, and you can get your nutrients from a whole range of different sources. So, uh, but generally, nutrient-dense whole foods is a, is a good bet. But it's interesting to see how the the nutrient optimizer helps to find that balance. And people who are subscribing to a 100% plant-based diet. It'll recommend, you know, liver and, and and some animal and fish and oysters and, and mussels and caviar and those sorts of things. And people who are doing the carnivore thing and, uh, you know, just eating muscle meat, it'll recommend the the organ meats and, and maybe some spinach and, and those sorts of nutrient dense foods that will give you potassium and magnesium and calcium that you're not going to get as much of from from muscle meat, which is drained of all the blood. I think the Maasai and those sorts of people were probably getting a whole ton of uh, electrolytes from their food when they drank the blood. But these days we, we drain it and we get rid of it all and you know, are you getting all the micronutrients that those people did? I'm not sure. So, it's an interesting experiment and uh, I look forward to seeing how it turns out.
1: That's, that's true, like you, you never want to get married to a particular practice or, or just just do something just for, the, just for some principles. You, you just want to work backwards from the goal and to know what you're trying to accomplish which is usually mm. like health and vitality then mm. you should use whatever you can to achieve that and and it, and it may not, and it may be that you have to change your approach you know some sometimes you may benefit from doing keto maybe sometimes you need to go through some other dietary strategies so it's all a matter of constant uh, adaptation in a sense
0: yeah i think it, I'll, just to double back on another point we talked about with the gut microbiome a lot of the people that are doing really well on the um, the zero-carb carnivore diet of the people who had major gut dysbiosis from eating a, a high-carb vegetarian processed food diet for a lot of the time, for a long time, I probably had gut issues where the gut microbiome was was completely over overblown. So when they take out all fermentable carbohydrates and just go for a carnivore diet, they they tend to stabilise that and all of a sudden they go, oh, I feel really good because you're not no longer feeding that overblown gut bacteria. So yeah, gut bacteria is definitely a fascinating area that, uh, you know.
1: It refutes all free will in a sense, like <laughs> how your, your <laughs> microbiome affects your mood and uh, your
0: cognitive. Uh, so, yeah. Totally.
1: <laughs> totally. What, what does your average day of feeding look like for you?
0: Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, playing with the uh, Keto Games Boot Camp at the moment. So um, it, it's that's a system where they basically take you through and try to get you to get out and exercise every day. So five days a week at the gym for an hour, hour and a half. And uh, this is not how I usually live. And I, I suppose I, I usually enjoy living with the family and eating good food that's nutritious, but I don't... I eat to satiety, but you know that, that often leaves you not as lean as you'd like to be. So I'm, I'm taking the Keto Gains boot camp. And um, so at the moment, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, wake up, have some coffee, um, uh, go to the gym. And before the the gym, they've got this Keto Gains pre-workout coffee, which has got protein and coffee. And it, with the Keto Gains approach, it's a little bit of MCT oil. Um, I'll come home from the gym and then do a, a, a breakfast bowl, which for me is just like... Uh, 250 grams of spinach um, uh, sardines or mackerel uh, oysters or anchovies with some nutritional yeast and salt um, which which is a little bit weird but that's that's the concoction of uh, the, the the nutrient optimizer so that's what that led to me led me to and then to to keep the protein while having the the calorie deficit i end up chasing more protein so that's where this is a little bit harder to to find protein without the fat um, so i can use my own body fat but it's been really it's been a great experience uh because i've lost you know three and a half kilos in in a couple of weeks so it's it's worked really well and the body composition changes are are really dramatic so um that that's good and but most of the time we've just learned over the last 10 years to eat nutrient dense lower carb foods but we don't avoid veggies we don't avoid protein um i suppose one of my struggles is that because you get comfortable with eating low carb and high fat you go oh cream peanut butter this is really yummy i'll just keep having it and i, I think that's a trap a lot of people get into that they just enjoy that a little bit too much and as you get older you go mm, maybe I need to slow down here and 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 and, and i'm Really enjoying the journey using the nutrient optimizer to, to tailor that. And I suppose I'm, I'm trying to systematize that to help other people go go through that journey to moderate their intake and their macros to achieve their goals based on where they are at the moment.
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, we're also starting to reach the end of the show, and I'm going to ask you one of my last few questions, which would be like, what would be some uh, practical advice everyone can do to optimize or improve their body and their mind
0: um yeah practical advice eat nutrient dense whole foods if it's got a label on it um you know try not to eat it if it's it's got a barcode try not to eat it um understand who you are where you're at what your goals are Uh, do you need to manage your blood sugars you need to manage your your weight and and target those things and choose one thing to target one or two things don't try to choose everything i mean if you listen to me or you you would probably get confused as hell trying to track everything all at once but just choose one or two things like heart rate variability sleep blood sugars nutrient density insulin load choose one or two things at a time and i think in one of your posts you said master one thing and then move on and uh, it's really good advice
1: yeah it's indeed you have to be, you have to develop some sort of uh, selective ignorance in, in terms of mm. what, what you're focusing on because if you, you you can get overwhelmed by, you know, having this, or mm. this, all these micronutrients or uh, <laughs> calculate all those calories or whatever, you know, it can lead to overwhelm.
0: So, yeah, totally.
1: So what's the future for you and uh, your projects?
0: Oh, well, um, I'm just enjoying the journey and it's been great to share... Um, share what I'm doing and 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 meet people all over the world like Estonia, which blows me away. And you get to chat to people. And I've made a whole lot of friends on Facebook. And um, uh, a few months ago uh, came across this guy, Alex Zotoff in Atlanta, who said, Hey, I'll help you program this to, to automate the nutrient optimizer. So rather than doing it taking a couple of hours in a spreadsheet, we've programmed it into a Online database, so um, that's the Nutrient Optimizer at nutrientoptimizer.com, and we're just developing that and uh, testing it, refining it, and uh, yeah, hopefully a big future because I think there's no other tool that you know you, you can track your calories, and some apps like Chronometer will track your micronutrients, but what do you do with that? What foods do you, you have to fill those gaps? And then if you're looking to manage insulin load or your energy density, the Nutrient Optimizer brings all those together to say, well, this is your target diet. These are the foods, these are the meals that you need to eat at this point in time to take your health and your nutrient density forward. So hopefully that'll help to retrain a lot of people and help a lot of people move their health and nutrition forward into the future.
1: Do you have any anything else to say one last words to the people who are
0: listening? Oh wow. Final words. Um no, just thank you for having me on. It's been a whole lot of fun and I uh, think it's I love to see what you're doing and and, and sharing the journey and learning and uh, what you're doing is great. Just so you know, I'm going to learn this and I'm going share it and when you share it you grow so much and you internalize that a whole lot more and uh, yeah, I've got a, a Facebook group optimizing nutrition and another one nutrient optimizer and it's just amazing the the hive mind that the, the combined learning when you share your journey with other people and uh, what you can learn and what you can achieve and yeah exciting days uh,
1: that's true yeah so marty i want to thank you for coming on to the show and it was a pleasure talking to you I learned a lot and i'll definitely stay would like to stay in touch with you as well that'd be
0: great man yeah really appreciate it thank you Sam
1: all right that's it for this episode make sure you leave us a review on itunes and other social media platforms and definitely check out marty's blog optimizingnutrition.com. i'll leave all the links in the show notes and other than that subscribe click the like notification bell as well like always thanks for watching my name is Seem. stay optimal stay empowered